Season 4 of the Missing Witches Podcast is lovingly sponsored by our Patreon patrons. Thank you. And Foxglove Farm. Go to foxglovefarm.com and use offer code MISSINGWITCHES for 13% off your order. You aren't being a proper woman, therefore you must be a witch. You must be a witch. Happy Thanksgiving to our Canadian listeners. For those of you in the USA, it's fucking Columbus Day. So, I thought today would be a great time to tell a story of a medicine woman with medicine songs. As I'm recording this, a Mi'kmaq community in Nova Scotia is battling for their right to trap and sell lobster. As Trina Roach from APTN, the Aboriginal People's Television Network, said, This is not just a story about lobster. This is a story about how Canada handles Aboriginal treaty rights. Today's story is not just a story about a singer. This is a story about persistence, creativity, indigeneity, and ingenuity. This is the story of Buffy St. Marie. Most of our Missing Witches episodes are inspired by words, books, articles, poems, spells, but the idea for today's offering came from my record collection. We say words are spells a lot around here, but so too are notes, music, vibrations, vibrato. Buffy St. Marie is another magical being who doesn't show her witchiness through occult study, cauldrons, crystals, or tarot cards, but rather through a devotion to change, a reverence for nature, a recognition of the power of ceremony, the nerve to go her own way. She's saying magic is alive and claims that the core of her belief system is creativity. So, by me, and for this circle... This coven of stories and knowledge and healing, Buffy St. Marie is undoubtedly holy. A medicine woman with medicine songs. We'll go looking for Buffy in the places I met her. Old treasured episodes of Sesame Street and of course her recordings, music and lyrics where my emotions dwell. But our main source of biographical information today will be Andrea Warner's book, Buffy St. Marie, The Authorized Biography. Buffy worked closely with Andrea Warner, and much of the book is Buffy telling her own story in her own words. This is one of those books where I ended up bookmarking and highlighting every page, whole chapters where I had to pause and ask myself, like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to choose which bits to quote and share with my coven? So I definitely encourage you to pick up a copy of this book for yourself. Discover your own path through it and decide for yourself what's important. I think that's what Buffy would want you to do. That's Buffy St. Marie, the authorized biography by Andrea Warner. The Missing Witches Project is, at its heart, a search for role models. Role models who believe or believed in something beyond the prescribed, acceptable, the normal, the known. Risa and I have always copped to our lack of objectivity. Many of our scripts are more love letter than essay. So let me just say, I don't know Buffy St. Marie personally, but based on my research, she might be the sweetest person in the world. And sweet is great, but the people I admire most are those whose sweetness is equal to their salt. People whose ferocity is in perfect balance with their compassion, who know when to calm and when to storm. Buffy is such a person. 
Her activism is relentless. Her music is incendiary. Her lyrics are provocative. Her energy for change seems limitless. But there is a kindness and a joy that pour out of her glowing smile, something comforting and playful about the tone of her voice. Even when her tears are visible, when her sadness and rage are palpable, amid her cries for justice, we can sense that sympathy is her guide. She radiates goodness and magic and love. She's also responsible, in part, for the success of another of my all-time favorite magical music goddesses, Joni Mitchell. Buffy was impressed with Joni's originality, so she performed Joni's songs and carried Joni's tape around, playing it for anyone who would listen. She eventually caught the ear of Elliot Roberts, who would become Joni's manager. See, here's the thing, my witches. When a door opens for you, you can walk through it and let it slam closed behind you, or you can pause briefly, and hold it open for someone else, like Harriet Tubman in some small way. Buffy is a great holder of doors. There is no official record of Buffy St. Marie's birth. We know she was born in Saskatchewan. We know she is Cree. Buffy was likely born in 1941, so she technically predated the epidemic of cultural annihilation known as, in what I believe to be much too cute sounding of a term, the 60s scoop. There's no other way to say this. The Canadian government kidnapped Indigenous children and adopted or fostered them out to primarily white middle-class families. Between the 1950s, that's 1950s, and the 1980s, that's 1980s, I emphasize so we understand that this could have been us or our parents, and for some of you listening, it may have been you or your parents or grandparents. I emphasize so that we understand that this is not Columbus Day colonial history. Like, people were so crazy 500 years ago, we've evolved since then. No. Between the 1950s and the 1980s, it is estimated that at least 20,000 Indigenous children were taken from their families. We know from Buffy's story and many others, however, that this scooping began long before the 1950s and continued long after the 80s. Starting in the 1800s, residential schools took Indigenous children from their families and placed them in religious indoctrination institutions. In total, an estimated 150,000 First Nation, Inuit, and Métis children attended residential schools. The stories of rampant abuse are devastating. The last residential school in Canada closed in 1996. Buffy was probably born in 1941. As Andrea Warner writes, to be born Cree in the 1940s in Canada was to be a person who was not always counted, at least not in a formal and legal fashion. Buffy was taken from her home in Saskatchewan, Canada, and adopted into a family 2,000 miles away in Massachusetts, USA. As an aside, both Saskatchewan and Massachusetts are Algonquin words. That fucking white supremacist colonial mentality keeping indigenous words as they please like Haida tattoos, plastic totem poles for their colonized lands, then systematically destroying the keepers of these images, lands, and languages, keeping the words but stripping the meaning, keeping the words but stripping the land keeping the names and killing the namers. The fucking caucasity required to steal children from their homes and claim you're doing them a favor? Calling the stolen children's parents savages? 
We're still doing this. The government will give foster parents more money to care for a child than they will give that child's parents to care for the child at home. So as a baby, Buffy was shipped off to become a Saint Marie in whose family home she would at least discover a piano and the music within her. At three years old, she would patiently observe the piano lessons of her older brother, afterward running to the keys to recreate the lesson by ear and compose by instinct. Andrea Warner wrote, Every note she's ever played, arranged, composed, or produced is by ear and memory, gut and feel. Ooh. Please carry this as a chant, dear witches. Ear and memory, gut and feel. What do you sense? What wisdom lurks within? What does your inner witch warrior advise? What emotions are arising? Ear and memory, gut and feel. Ear and memory, gut and feel. Buffy grew up in what she now laughingly calls Javex USA, bleach white. And in keeping with that waspy stereotype of stuffy avoidance, Buffy never really got a solid answer on who she was or where she came from. She was variously told that she was abandoned, adopted, or that Mrs. St. Marie was part Micmac and her biological mother, or that maybe Mr. St. Marie wasn't Buffy's father, wink wink after all, and she never knew exactly what to believe. Now, a warning. Hold steady your heart lest it be shattered. Buffy also grew up being physically and then sexually abused by her older brother, and then by an adult man, a friend of the family. She took refuge in music and nature. Y'all know I don't like to quantify trauma, but I think it's safe to say that my childhood was a lot easier than Buffy's. Still, when I was a kid and needed an escape, I'd climb trees and sit in the embrace of their limbs for hours. Or I would put on a record and disappear, sinking into the tones like warm water. As I aged, these things merged, that tree limb became a guitar neck, and I could clutch wood, sing, and play myself into another world. Music and nature. When I interviewed Big Sissy, Athena Holmes, they said the same thing. How many of us have been saved by music and nature? Music and nature, we thank you. As with a lot of us who are constantly struggling to figure out in some way or another at any given moment what the fuck is going on here, Buffy was drawn to philosophy. Andrea Warner wrote, She says, I guess I fell in love with thinking in its limitless manifestations. Studying philosophy broadened both St. Marie's intellectual horizons and her understanding of her interior world. I came to understand myself in a bigger way, and at the same time I was understanding the universe in a way I had guessed at as a child. The more I have experienced in my life, the more that those experiences confirmed much of my basic feelings from childhood. Studying philosophy and world religions reinforced her churchless spirituality as well as the connection she'd always felt between herself and something bigger the earth, animals, ancestors, and life itself. St. Marie has always been in love with human potential, and she believes there's something beyond this world, even if she doesn't know what. Ultimately, it's creativity itself that is holy to St. Marie. The creator, creativity, the creation, it's all perfectly natural, she says. Creativity is some kind of internal gift from the creator, at least in my experience. We're made in the image of the creator. That's our green light for creativity. 
We create our songs, our families, our countries. We are supposed to be discovering and developing new ideas all the time, I think, not dragging our feet and living in some ancient past. And to her, almost everything is a creative act. Dropping money in a busker's hat. Fundraising for somebody to go to college. Spending some extra time with a dog or a cat or even offering someone a smile. Creative compassion doesn't have to be something huge and political like what Gandhi did, she said. I love what the Dalai Lama said. You always have the best, most effective tool for peace with you, and that's your smile. But Buffy at heart is a creator, not just a thinker, philosopher, but a maker, a doer. In an interview with the CBC, she reaffirmed this, saying, To me, there's a spirituality to everything. If we're made in the image of the creator, what that means is that we're creative. The purpose and sum total of our lives has to do with creativity. I think for a lot of us, whether we are artists or bakers or candlestick makers, parents molding future adults, our creativity is in large part our spirituality. It's our ritualized process or praxis that connects us with our ancestors or the great divine. Buffy had a unique voice, an ear for music, a creative spirit, and a political message. Plus, it was the 60s, so naturally, she became a folk singer. Having gained confidence through coffeehouse gigs and little concerts while completing her philosophy and teaching degrees, Buffy made the decision to move to the undisputed hub of mainstream American folk music at the time, Greenwich Village. There, she would edge her way onto open mic nights, sharing the stage with a young Bob Dylan, among others, in a basement venue called The Gaslight. When Time Magazine called Buffy the most intriguing young folk singer to emerge in many a moon, a record deal was inevitable. In 1964, Buffy released her first album, It's My Way. And we'll focus here for a while because Buffy thought this would be her only album. So she felt compelled to get every important message she had on there. Some listeners and music writers compared this to Frank Sinatra's I did it my way, with the emphasis on the word my. But Buffy explains that her focus is on the word way. She said, this is my path. Discover your own. They're out there. The paths to wonderfulness, to effectiveness, to joy, to living are generated everywhere. Project your path outward from where you are inside yourself. This has been one of the major takeaways for me personally of the Missing Witches Project. It has been a study of paths. There are so many ways to make magic. There are so many paths, an infinite variety, none lesser or greater. And each one stands in perfect validity without judging itself against the paths of others. The album It's My Way contains iconic, emotion-stirring songs like Universal Soldier and Codine. The debut song on her debut album was called Now That the Buffalo's Gone. And as I read you some of the lyrics, I want you to imagine the strength of character required for Buffy to insist that this be her introduction to the world at large. Can you remember the times that you have held your head high and told all your friends your Indian claim, proud good lady and proud good man? Some great-great-grandfather from Indian blood came and you feel in your heart for those ones. Oh, it's written in books and in song that we've been mistreated and wronged. Well, over and over I hear those same words. 
from you, good lady, and you, good man. Well, listen to me if you care where we stand and you feel you're a part of these ones. When a war between nations is lost, the loser, we know, pays the cost. But even when Germany fell to your hands, consider, dear lady, consider, dear man, you left them their pride and you left them their land. And what have you done to these ones? Has a change come about, my dear man? Or are you still taking our lands? A treaty forever, your senators sign. They do, dear lady, they do, dear man. And the treaties are broken again and again. And what will you do for these ones? Oh, it's all in the past, you can say. But it's still going on here today. The governments now want Navajo land, that of the Inuit and the Cheyenne. It's here and it's now you can help us, dear man. Now that the buffalo's gone. Buffy wrote The Universal Soldier as news of America's war with Vietnam began to spread. He's a Catholic, a Hindu, an atheist, a Jain, a Buddhist and a Baptist and a Jew. And he knows he shouldn't kill, and he knows he always will. Kill you for me, my friend, and me for you. His orders come from far away no more. They come from him, and you, and me, and brothers you can't see. This is not the way we put an end to war. The more famous folk singer Donovan covered Universal Soldier, and many assumed he had written it. Universal Soldier was also covered by the Highwaymen, who, in a case of the cocktail napkin contract fuckery that the music industry is known for, ended up owning the publishing rights to the song. According to Andrea Warner, it took Buffy 10 years and 25 grand to buy back the rights to her song. Some websites still show Donovan as the songwriter. So here is Buffy trying to take back something that was stolen from her by white men, and I can't help but tie this real quick to the notion of land back. So what does land back mean? Let's ask Cree community organizer Ronald Gamblin, who wrote, While these words seem straightforward enough, this phrase encompasses a complicated and intergenerational web of ideas and movements. When I hear indigenous youth and land protectors chant, land back at a rally i know it can mean the literal restoration of land ownership when grandmothers and knowledge keepers say it i tend to think it means more the stewardship and protection of mother earth when indigenous political leaders say it it often means a comprehensive land claim and self-governing agreements no matter what meaning is attached we as indigenous nations have an urge to reconnect with our land in meaningful ways if, as a non-Indigenous person, this idea scares that deep-seated colonial part of you, let me lovingly reassure you that no one is coming for your granddaddy's farm. Almost 90% of Canada is crown land. Now, crown land is the term used to describe land owned by the federal or provincial governments. Authority for control of these public lands rests with the crown, hence their name. Less than 11% of Canada's land is in private hands. 41% is federal crown land, and an additional 48% is provincial crown land. Almost 90%. And we have to wonder, could handing the stewardship of this expanse back to the indigenous people of Canada help to save the world? I think so. Land back. It's My Way, track 5, 
Codine is a go-to cover for me when I'm feeling desolate. I grab my guitar and I sing Codine at top volume. My belly is craven. I got an aching in my head. I feel like I'm dying and I wish I was dead. Sometimes I hang on lines and repeat them over and over. And I'll reel and I'll fall and I'll rise. Risa told me that singing this song at my old apartment is a physical memory for her. The song is about addiction and withdrawal and comes from Buffy's own experience. As she tells it, she went to a doctor for a bronchial infection and he gave her what he told her was a vitamin B12 shot, some pills and a prescription for more pills, which he said were antibiotics. For a few weeks, she received checkups and more shots. Then, luckily, she went on a trip. She started feeling sick, so she went to a pharmacy on the road to refill her prescription. The pharmacist told her she wasn't sick, she was going through withdrawal. Horrified, Buffy spent the next several days riding out the hell of being junk sick. Writing Codine helped her process, but the experience still haunted her. Years later, she heard a story and it all made sense. That same doctor had been sent to jail for turning young, vulnerable women into prostitutes by lying to them and intentionally addicting them to drugs. Buffy may have escaped this doctor's plan, but encountering violence all her life, she did not escape the statistics. She did, however, survive. The missing and murdered Indigenous women epidemic has been described as a Canadian national crisis, as a Canadian genocide. In 2016, the Government of Canada established the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. According to the April 22, 2016 background of the inquiry, between the years of 1980 and 2012, Indigenous women and girls represented 16% of all female homicides in Canada, while constituting only 4% of the female population in Canada. A 2011 Statistics Canada report estimated that between 1997 and 2000, the rate of homicides for Aboriginal women and girls was almost seven times higher than that for other Canadian females. Compared to non-Indigenous women and girls, they were also disproportionately affected by all forms of violence. They are also far more likely than other women to go missing. In the United States, Native American women are more than twice as likely to experience violence than any other demographic. One in three Native women is sexually assaulted during her lifetime, and 67% of these assaults are perpetrated by non-Natives. In a 2014 report, Missing and Murdered Aboriginal Women, a National Operational Overview, found that more than a thousand Indigenous women were murdered over a span of 30 years while homicides for non-Indigenous women declined between 1980 and 2015, the number of Indigenous women who were victims of homicide increased. From 2001 to 2015, the homicide rate for Indigenous women in Canada was almost six times as high as the homicide rate for non-Indigenous women. In Nunavut, Yukon, the Northwest Territories, and in the provinces of Manitoba, Alberta, and Saskatchewan, this overrepresentation of Indigenous women among homicide victims was even higher. But homicide isn't limited to sex crimes or the streets, right? Just a few days before this recording, Joyce Eshaquan 
died in a prison hospital while nursing staff demeaned and degraded her with racist, misogynist remarks. And we say justice for Joyce. Buffy lived through the violence of displacement, was sexually abused as a child, and as an adult found herself in another violent, abusive relationship, her marriage. This is the power of systemic and personal abuse. If it can convince a person of miraculous will like Buffy, even momentarily she did leave him, that violence is what she deserves, imagine what it does to us mere mortals. Predators are drawn to the vulnerable. So when we as a society make an entire people vulnerable, when Indigenous women are marginalized and disenfranchised both socially and economically, we create this epidemic. Emotional vulnerability is powerful. Systemic vulnerability is powerlessness. In 1966, Buffy sang, My country, tis of thy people, you are dying. Now that the longhouses breed superstition, you force us to send our children away to your schools where they're taught to despise their traditions, forbid them their languages, then further say that American history really began when Columbus set sail out of Europe and stress that the nations of leeches who conquered his land were the biggest and bravest and boldest and best, and yet where in your history books is the tale of the genocide basic to this country's birth? of the preachers who lied, how the Bill of Rights failed. My country, tis of thy people, you're dying. Buffy has put out 21 records, so I won't dig into all of them here, but I do want to stop in 1969 to drop the needle on Illuminations. This record blew my fucking mind when I first heard it, and indeed, as Andrea Warner points out, Illuminations is referenced as a precursor to gothic rock, and it also sparked St. Marie's friend, punk rock fashion icon Jimmy Webb, to later refer to her as one of the pre-punk punks. Genesis's Steve Hackett frequently cites Illuminations as a source of inspiration for the band's sound. That's Genesis. I've always contended that Leonard Cohen was a much better poet than a singer, and his lyrics are almost always better off in the hands of other vocalists, but nowhere is this more clear than the first track of this record. When Buffy sings, God is alive. Magic is afoot. God is afoot. Magic is alive. Alive is afoot. Magic never dies. Lyrics taken from Leonard Cohen's novel, Beautiful Losers, amid her strange synths that sound like condensation dripping in a cave, Buffy's voice seems supernatural. For those of you who follow us on Instagram and saw my series of bread baking stories, you know that this song is soundtracked for some of my most magical tasks. In a world where only a few years earlier, Bob Dylan had shocked the world by playing Gasp, an electric guitar, Buffy St. Marie was making ahead of its time experimental goth punk with computers. In fact, her 1992 album, Coincidence and Likely Stories, holds the distinction of being the first major label record to be made over the internet. Buffy and her producer used the then-new technology of MIDI files and the internet to send bits of music back and forth to create the album. Starwalker from her 1976 album Sweet America is considered the first powwow-style rock song. Buffy pulls equally from the latest technology to the most ancient traditions to create her art, carving and discovering her own path along the way. 
And now, a word from our sponsor. <laughs> you all remember Fox Love Farm from our last season. We are so stoked to be working with Sammy again and with Fox Love Farm. Yeah, this this incredible witch in her kitchen makes just such beautiful product and and like inspiring things that I've actually used all the time that really touch my life. I use the Somoted tea all the time and I use the other, the calming one too, the anxiety they're beautiful. They're so, they're perfect for, for my workings at home. And she's just a pleasure and delight. So we really are excited to work with her again and excited for you guys to get an opportunity to discover her, her witchy boxes. Right. These subscription boxes, it's like a combination of things you can keep. Like, um, um my box had like a little incense plate mm -hmm. in it and, you know, artwork, stuff like that, but also things you can consume like soap and tea uh foxglove works with witchy artisans and puts their stuff into the boxes it's all ethically sourced we like it we love her we hope you check it out and make uh, use of that sweet sweet listener offer code missy witches for 13 percent off your order the theme of chosen paths is also evident in buffy's delightful performance of different people different ways on sesame street Buffy was a reoccurring character on Sesame Street for five years, starting in 1975, and I can't think of a better symbol for Buffy's combination of radical ideas and kind-heartedness than the Sesame Street of the 70s and 80s. I am begging you to take some time to fall down the YouTube rabbit hole of searching Buffy St. Marie Sesame Street. Share it with your children, pets, or friends from the Sesame Street Workshop website. In 1969, Sesame Street Workshop started with a single bold question. Could television be used to educate kids? Against the backdrop of the civil rights movement and the war on poverty, Sesame Street founders Joan Gons Cooney and Lloyd Morissette had a simple but revolutionary idea. Television could help prepare disadvantaged children for school. They tapped educational advisors, researchers, television producers, artists, and other visionaries to create what would become the longest-running children's show in American television history. So Buffy was the first indigenous person to make regular appearances on Sesame Street. But first she had to ask, as was her way, it's my way, have you done any Native American programming? Andrea Warner writes, They hadn't, but they called her back with a new offer to include her as a writer and a contributor and appear as a semi-regular cast member. She knew it would be a good opportunity to reach millions of young children and their parents with the same message she had been bringing to her concert audiences for years. Indians exist. I also think it's quite lovely that, other than Big Bird, Buffy was the only one who could see Snuffleupagus. And so it was that this team, and Buffy too, Buffy would make appearances on Sesame Street from 75 to 81, would attempt to balance the scales of justice in education by providing early childhood education for parents who couldn't afford it. And not just ABC 123, but real abstract concepts and the promotion of an emotional maturity that some adults still struggle to grasp. In one episode, Big Bird has made a drawing. But everyone is too busy paying attention to Buffy's new baby, played by her real son, Dakota. So, in an angry, jealous huff, Big Bird locks his nest door, posting a sign for his former friends to keep out. Eventually, Buffy is allowed to come in, and Big Bird describes his contention that Buffy only loves the baby now. Buffy patiently replies, You can love lots of people. You just love each person in his own way. She explains in song, 
I love him cause he's tiny and small. I love you cause you're yellow and tall. Tiny and small love, yellow and tall love, everyone loves through all their days. Different people, different ways. In another episode, Buffy is nursing her infant son. She tells Big Bird, I'm feeding the baby. See, he's drinking milk from my breast. Lots of mothers feed their babies this way. Not all mothers, but lots of mothers do. Buffy knows that decolonizing and unsettling minds must begin in childhood. Not just for a better world, but for the children's own protection. Andrea Warner wrote, St. Marie sees a connection between the sexual abuse in residential schools and her own sexual abuse as a child, in that both are a function of the good old boy colonial blueprint that hasn't changed much since biblical times. The priests, the ministers, the nuns, and the Indian agents were all sexually repressed people, and like soldiers, they were raised, trained, and expected to be servants of a feudal hierarchy, familiar with torture, humiliation, misogyny, and coercion. St. Marie says, today, a lot of the descendants of this system are okay with it. They're trying to normalize the abnormal, and they believe that rape is universal human nature, but it's not. Like war, it's just greedy men's dreams. Rape is a choice, a cultural aberration of certain societies, including historical Europe, where rape was a reward for the king's sexually repressed soldiers and misogyny and child abuse were no big deal and nobody's business. In St. Marie's view, it leads all the way back through Europe's sick history of bad leadership, mandated by the doctrine of discovery. The big racket as it pertains to children is much bigger than racism, St. Marie says. Ever read Charles Dickens? Europeans exploited their own children and oppressed their own neighbors before they even got to us. The slave trade and the king's military were both implicated in the template for how indigenous children all over the world were treated by Europeans. Little children who were kidnapped from a natural life and sent to live in residential schools without family or community were certainly not a match for such a system. Beyond the established European market for indigenous child slaves, European literature is full of evidence that suggests bullying and abuse of little kids in their own homes were common, obvious, and no big deal. And of course, I was one more of the little kids that that kind of men did it to, even without a residential school, and nobody even noticed. She remembers the trauma only too well. It's incredibly disempowering to be the slave and of, a, of an adult and to have to do things that are described as being shameful, St. Marie says. You're threatened throughout your whole childhood by people who outweigh you, so you're always under stress, always being bullied, having to do even more. The threat of being exposed, I'll tell all your friends, is just awful, she says. Awful. Talking about the abuse she experienced as a child is still a work in progress for St. Marie. In the 1980s, she participated in a support group for adult survivors of child abuse. This kind of thing never leaves you. It's always in the back of your mind. I mean, your lack of identity, not knowing who you are, or what the rules are, or whether it's fair for people to mistreat you in this big bad world where men rule everything, and older rules younger, and more powerful rules less powerful, and white rules indigenous when you're just trying to find a safe place to fit in unnoticed. The support group consisted of five women who met once a week to talk about their lives and what happened to them. 
After a few weeks, the person running the group asked the women to take part in a healing exercise. Buffy said she wanted each of us to envision ourselves as that poor, abused kid from way back when, which was very easy for me to do. And she wanted us to go over to that poor kid and tell her, I'm going to take care of you now. I encourage you all to tell your inner child, I'm going to take care of you now. Now, here's the dear inevitable part of almost every episode of the Missing Witches podcast, where we invoke the beloved witch Ipsita Roy Chakraverti with her quote, Every strong woman is a witch and is hunted. So if you're wondering why you've maybe never heard of Buffy before, or why she wasn't invited to perform at Woodstock, or why she's not as famous as those whose careers she'd helped to inspire, like Bob Dylan or Joni, the answer is threefold, at least. One, Buffy's just not a fame monster. She tells a great story of going on tour with a then-near-unknown Paul Simon. Buffy had already had some success, and so she was set to headline the shows. Well, Paul Simon made a big stink and insisted that Buffy should open for him. But Buffy only learned about this when she read Paul Simon's autobiography many, many, many years later. She said, laughing, I didn't even know that was going on at the time. That's how unimportant it was to me. <laughs> Two, Buffy was invited to be on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, a major pit stop on the road to celebrity. But producers told her she wasn't allowed to talk about Indigenous rights or pacifism, so Buffy refused to appear on the show. But it didn't end there. Three, Andrea Warner wrote, St. Marie knew that her activism may have cost her her career in some ways, but she believed it was a consequence of seeking justice. Many other Indigenous activists and friends, after all, had paid a price far worse. But in the late 80s, a bombshell of a story dropped into St. Marie's lap. She was being interviewed on the radio when the interviewer apologized for having participated in a campaign to suppress her music in the 60s and 70s. St. Marie said in a 2008 interview at the National Museum of the American Indian that she had been blacklisted by American radio stations and that she, along with Native Americans and other indigenous people in the Red Power movements, were put out of business in the 70s. In a 1999 interview, St. Marie said, I found out 10 years later in the 80s that President Lyndon Johnson had been writing letters on White House stationery praising radio stations for suppressing my music. She said, in the 70s, not only was the protest movement put out of business, but the Native American movement was attacked. As a result of this blacklisting led by, among others, Presidents Lyndon Johnson and Richard Nixon, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover, and Nashville disc jockey Ralph Emery, St. Marie said, I was put out of business in the United States. Despite being blacklisted, Buffy continued her music and activism. She once said, I don't like to despair. It's uncomfortable. It kind of hurts to despair. So instead of despairing, I try to do things about it. Andrea Warner quotes Buffy saying something that my Aunt B used to say all the time, and I, in turn, say all the time. It's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. Buffy believes that we are always evolving, mutating, ripening, becoming, and that idea is the foundation of her creative and persistent approach to her life and its rippling effect. She said, as each of us learns and ripens, we affect everything around ourselves. 
And this is especially true for Buffy. She's been remarkably prolific, not just in music, but in the daily business of changing the world. Among her hundreds of achievements, in the 90s, she spearheaded the Cradleboard Teaching Project, which was her attempt to indigenize history, schools, and learning environments. Warner writes, if she could indigenize the standard curriculum, both through providing factually correct information about contemporary indigenous people, as well as exploring science, technology, and other core subjects through indigenous lenses, she could reach new kids all the time and open their eyes to other options. Buffy currently lives on a farm in Hawaii, but even approaching her 80th year continues to raise money and awareness even during quarantines by doing frequent live streams. Most recently, Buffy wrote a song slash book called Hey Little Rockabye, a lullaby for pet adoption, with part of the proceeds going to Humane Canada, Canada's Federation of SPCAs and Humane Societies. Hey, hey, little rockabye. Hey, hey, little darling. Hey, hey, little rockabye. You got somebody loves you. <laughs> 2020 has been a struggle at best. Many of us are stuck in our homes or trapped in a world we didn't design. But Buffy encourages you to be fruitful. She said, when there's nothing to do, that bothers some people. But I just start doing artsy things. I'll play with words or I'll play with music or I'll start rearranging things in my mind, recolorizing things, turning things upside down or inside out. Instead of getting bored, I have fun. And we at Missing Witches encourage you to do the same. When it seems like there's nothing to do, look harder. Start rearranging things or just have fun and play. Discover a path. Discover your path by ear and memory gut and feel, ear and memory, gut and feel. We are the universal soldiers and the war continues to be fought. Be you a warrior on the front lines or a spreader of medicine songs, the resistance and reformation needs your help. Decolonizing or unsettling is hard work, but don't worry. You got somebody loves you and it's you and me, and Buffy St. Marie. Magic is afoot. Magic is alive. The paths to wonderfulness, to effectiveness, to joy, to living are generated everywhere. Buffy said, I have two main prayers. One is thanks, and the other is wow. Wow. You must be a witch. This episode of the Missing Witches podcast was written and performed by Amy Torek. Music and editing by Amy Torek. Thanks again to our sponsor, Foxglove Farm. Don't forget to use our listener offer code MISSINGWITCHES for 13% off your order. Or make a contribution to their wildlife rescue, Out of the Woods. Find your witchy wellness at Foxglove Farm, that's farm like pharmacy with a ph, dot com. You can also support Missing Witches on Patreon at patreon.com slash missingwitches. And coming soon, Missing Witches merch on TeePublic. And please, if you haven't already, consider pre-ordering our upcoming book, Missing Witches by Risa Dickens and Amy Torek, published by North Atlantic Books.